I'm in brief. Wow. This is a real delight to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming. Yeah, cool. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited to talk with you as always, Morty and JD. We obviously had our conversation a couple of weeks back, so I'm equally excited to speak with you as well now. Awesome. I thought we might start with why we missed our original recording. Yeah, and uh, so we were supposed to record a few weeks ago, and then my wife lost her father, right? And she ended up sitting Shiva that week, and it was chaos, and I totally lost track of the fact that we were supposed to record that that week. Yeah, this past weekend, Simon, you, you know, I saw each other in synagogue, and you were talking about you know, aging. And you've also experienced, you know, your wife lost her father a number of years ago. Yeah, you know, you've experienced other challenges in terms of family building. And yeah, you know, so the initial like prompt I'd say is like, when you think about, let's say, grief and aging and just seeing that part of life, like how has that affected your spiritual journey? I guess if I boiled it down just to a couple of different things, I mean, for me, the grief and the aging are a little bit more separate in terms okay. of how I would think about that. From a grief standpoint, I guess I, I we talked a little bit about my, more the, the, grief, the grief that my wife felt around losing her father and having a, a hysterectomy, which kind of was a tremendous loss for her. And also just those two losses overlapping with one another. It was really about showing up for her every day in that grief and uh, having the consistent compassion and uh, presence with her. So that she felt heard and felt like she could really be with that grief. And I'd say on the aging piece, and maybe this is the, there's a piece of overlap in these Venn diagrams on the aging piece. It feels to me more like it's about acceptance. Your expectation is that you're going to feel as good or feel like you felt before. Hmm. As you get older, it doesn't always work like that. And you feel that in more and more ways. And it's about accepting, I guess, that it's not going to be like it was. It's going to be different. And I guess that's also kind of how you feel when you lose somebody. Mm. I can't say, like my father-in-law, even though I've lost grandparents, I was much younger. And my father-in-law, I was probably a lot, as a young man, man, a lot kind of closer to and knew how to open up and connect in a different way. And I also genuinely was very close to him. So I felt that grief and that was the biggest loss that I felt. Um, but being there for my wife and the, and that grief and that, that was hard. So yeah. those are kind of two jumping off points there. The, the idea of uh, this spiritual life, you know, this belief that there's, I guess, more than what we see on a day-to-day basis that, right, that this is just a sliver of it, right? That requires, I mean, I I don't know if you call that faith or if it's just a desperate belief that we have, right? But what does it do? Like seeing that your wife go through that, you know, losing some, you know, your your father-in-law, like, does it shake your faith? No, it doesn't. With my father-in-law, I guess my thinking and feeling around that, I I guess I would just say my overall feeling around kind of like we're only seeing a slice of it is that there have been moments where through practice and experiencing, I felt more than the slice, than more than my uh, usual fair share of being alive. And I would say that in times of grief, you're really feeling it. You might experience more than that fair slice 
right, of, of, of reality. And to me, like God or faith, it's more connected with experiencing and with the full spectrum of emotion and experience than it is with like a bearded dude in the sky or any concept of that. And maybe that comes from the fact that I'm a naturally an emotionally driven guy and I feel that in a big way. That's how I perceive it that way. Judy, what, what comes up for, for you, you know, when you think about grief? Is there a conflict? How do you react to it? But yeah, anything comes up for you? Yeah, I think grief is such an important, I don't know if I want to call it, I guess it's an emotion, emotion or experience to have or to go through. And I think something that Simon said that really resonated is this idea that uh, it's not going to be the way it was. I think uh, a phrase that sometimes comes to mind, I think, uh, in in various Jewish prayers that I grew up with that you guys, you know, recognize like the idea of like somehow getting back to this, like the glory days of old and, oh, if things could only go back. And that feels to me, at least in my current philosophy, spirituality, life, like just a an expression of a human longing that's just really out of touch with with reality mm. uh you know to simon's point no, nothing stays the same nothing goes back nothing that's just not the the arrow of, of time as far as we understand goes in its directional um and this idea of 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 grief or sometimes of of not dealing with grief is 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 clinging or holding on to some hope or belief or idea that like if we could just get back, if I could only get back, if this could be the the way it was. Um, yeah, I was listening to, I forget, some podcast about pain or chronic pain and probably misquote this, misrepresent this idea somewhat, but the idea that one of the things that comes up for people who suffer forms of chronic pain is somehow this idea that I don't know, you hurt yourself playing sports or hiking or, you know, who knows what, and, and you're just, it doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't feel the same. There's something in your lower back or in your knee that's, that's a little off and it, and it drives you crazy. And it's part of it is accepting. Yeah. You, you did something. It changed some physical form in your body, a bone, a tendon, a ligament, who knows, you know, you go to PT, you take care of any acute issues, but the universe has changed. Your knee is now different. Your lower back is now a little bit different and it might feel different to walk or to, you know, play tennis or whatever it is. And, and I think grief can be, or, or feels like a, a right emotion for all sorts of things, losing, losing abilities you, th you once had, or you remember having losing feelings, being able to wake up in the morning, maybe pain-free in your lower back, you can grieve uh, that time. And I think if we don't allow ourselves to fully grieve, whatever the loss is, whether it's of a, a person or an ability or etc., I think it's very hard to sort of move forward with reality uh, or even spirituality. I think allowing ourselves to grieve feels really important and like a practice that I am still feeling into in, in my own life. You said so many things there that resonated with me about pain. And I, I, ha I have had the back issues. And <laughs> I, I, I would say what that attuned me to was, wow, I just 
got a new found sense of, I, this was in 2017, after my father-in-law and after my, my wife's hysterectomy, kind of overlapping with some of that grief, but I had this back pain and I had to get a microdiscectomy. Mm. And the, the pain just not only made me feel gratitude for when I didn't have that pain, but also after I had this surgery and felt better, my uh, sensitivity towards other people's pain went up mm. so much. And I'm sure the half-life of that, it was long, but it trailed off a bit. But that's one, one piece. And the other piece that you said about Chadesh Yamenu Kekedem, it's so funny the way you, um, uh, the way you interpreted that, because I think that is a pretty traditional interpretation, especially when you think about the Jewish tradition, a lot of the time it's like, oh, what happened a long time ago was when we were closer to God and where it was at. But I actually choose to, the perspective I take on that particular line or phrase is more this idea that it's not me, the Meyashilach and other people, <laughs> other rabbis have come up with, probably could say this way better, but it's just the idea that the, the moment is renewing at every moment, right? That what we're not looking for is a previous mm-hmm. specific state of things, but it's a state of uh, looking how we look at things, it's a particular internal state of kind of beginner's mind. My experience fairly recent, I mean, it's a little over a month now, but as far as how like the grief impacted my own spiritual experience, it was very humbling. You know, you think, okay, like, you know, I'm doing this spiritual work and I meditate and I think about how there's more than, you know, that at our core, we're really souls. We're not, you know, we're just wearing this, these like meat suits and we're, you know, and there's, you know, maybe there's reincarnation, right? And then, you get the call, you get a call, right, at 1.30 in the morning, right, saying, right, that you just, right, that you're, that you're, you know, that my father-in-law died. The feeling that I had was, like, just terror, because it's like, because if this could happen, right, to someone that you love and, and you know, like, the parent of your, of your, of your, your spouse, right, then it could happen to you. I mean, thank God I have my parents, but if you're lucky, one day, right, you will lose your parents, right? If that's, you know, if, if things go well, one day that will happen. If you're lucky, one day it will happen to your kids, right? That they will, that they'll get, you know, they'll get the call about you, right? And so part of me, like when, I, so we're, as we're, you know, we go down to the living room, it's two in the morning now, and we're just like, all right, let's just like sit. And my head is going all kinds of places thinking like, what would happen if, were, if, if this was like my father right and i'm in that space you know and then i'm like also judging myself which is like you know all that spiritual stuff like 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 morty like you're full of shit because when it comes down to it like you are just you're terrified right now and like and and you're and you're in your head and you're not holding space for 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 it and so what i had to do then was you know when i recognized that it's like all right let me kind of get out of my head let me stay in this moment and also recognize that there's nothing I can do to fix. There's, there's nothing to fix. It's, I think probably yeah, like a men are from Mars type of thing also. Like we'd like, you know, men want to fix the situation. Right? But also like, I don't like people to be upset around me. Like I like to, you know, I like them to be happy, but there's no, there's like, there's no words that you can offer. There's nothing you can, you can change. You just have to just be with them in that space. And that's it, right? There's like just nothing to, to do. So like, I found it like just very humbling yeah, but my natural reaction, it was funny, is like I, I had that self, even in, in the in the throes of that moment, I still 
fell into like self-judgment about like, you should be doing better <laughs> but in, in, in this situation. Don't we all? The yeah. fact that you had that awareness of that, that's something. And, you know, I have so many, so much admiration and so much um, love for my father-in-law. And I, I just, you know, Google Photos showed me some photos of him today, this morning. And I, uh, I felt so like it was so, it's only, it's only been like six years. And I felt like, wow, this was like another era ago at this point in my life. Yeah. And I don't know how you felt or how close you were with your, your father-in-law, Morty. And I guess because I had met my father-in-law at a very formative time in my life and I had so much admiration for him and he was just different than my, my dad, who I also hmm. have a lot of love and admiration for, but just so different and played such a role for me in my maturation that it was a really big loss for me. And I have thought this frequently. I'm like, oh man, what would he think about X? What's going on politically? What would he think about some of the choices that my wife and I have made for our family? And in fact, I guess I can, I can say this here. You know, I had a certain medicine experience and it was very um, visual and very audible. And part of that experience was him coming, like kind of, not him coming to me, but this medicine saying to me, like, you occupy that space, that title of like, you wear the crown in this environment with your, with your family. You are the guy. You're the man now, dog. You have to occupy that, that space. Mm. Um, it's kind of like stepping into that, that power because I, had, I have and had so much respect for him. And I got to just give him this love and this shout out, which is that we are so different. But the thing, he had so many talents and skills and the most impressive to me was his ability to listen to me and to hear what I was saying, even though we were so different and to have that level of love and care and respect, which given how strong he was in his beliefs and his way of doing things, that he had that space for me there, it, it really did kind of just really directly, it gave me a certain respect for his way of doing life and Judaism specifically, um, because that was a pretty wide, a pretty wide tent because he was really going out on a limb to listen to me talk about meditation retreats mm -hmm. and emotion, which weren't his uh, natural habitats to be in. That's beautiful. The idea of taking the crown, like I'm, I'm thinking a picture that comes to mind is in The Lion King. Simba is uh, looking into the, into the water, I think, right? And sees his reflection. You know, when you lose someone, there's also, there, there's the authority and leadership of that person that's now gone, right? There's that void. Like there, I mean, there's responsibility that comes with that. It's not easy to, to take on that mantle, but I guess that's also part of what happens and what you see is that, like, I mean, in the case of the Lion King, it's like, oh, it's already you, right? You already, you know, you, you have it, but it's a, it's a leap. It's definitely, a, it's definitely, and it's uncomfortable. To me, it kind of comes down to how active am I being in my certain choices for things? And you're right. It's, it comes down to, we probably had conversations of this nature, I, I, you know, on that Rosh Hashanah retreat we did with John and, and others and Dave this idea of making choices and being active in those choices and actually figuring out what your actual choices are 
that is the that is your gift that is part of using and finding what that what that gift is every single time just the way my mind works and i'm sure others too you might question what you're doing or what your gifts are and whether you're using them and really all it comes down to i found is what do you want to like can you cross that chasm and just bring what you want into the world even a little bit at a time a little bit at a, at a time it could be so small but for me it always feels so rewarding sometimes it could be as small as like getting a group of people together to study or having a meal and having a conversation with people because I see the world oftentimes really through the lens of connection and am I creating spaces or am I a part of spaces that enable that kind of connection mm -hmm. that's depth. That, that's what that's like when this that little slice of life gets expanded is through that connection and sometimes I'm even narrow on how I think about that being possible and adding a little bit of humor and <laughs> levity and lightness often goes a long way too to open that up not just for me but for being more inclusive and in how that can others can be a part of that connection you elaborate on that a little bit yeah or if you have any I don't know stories or anecdotes times that that happens yeah. these connections that yeah. felt good because one of the things, I mean, so Simon, you grew up in kind of a you know, fairly traditional you know, Jewish you know, background, Upper West Side, but you clearly have had a, a spiritual bend. And, and GD, I don't know if this came up in your last conversation with Simon, but Simon, for many years, I don't know, you're probably not still doing it, but was, run, was running a, like a meditation get together every mm -hmm. week with whoever would want to show up. You know, which is which, which is like not what you would see in a traditional like modern Orthodox synagogue. So, I mean, I think you, you know you have been proactive in trying to create spaces of connection with with others. But yeah, but you can talk about that or anything else that comes to mind. That's definitely something. I guess often what it comes down to is just like there's a there's a softer place inside of each of us. A hard place to like touch sometimes, maybe a place of the heart, just not some a place that we access often, or it's not an easy place to access in society. And I just like, I enjoy going there and being there and I feel comfortable there. And that environment, just sitting, paying attention to uh, the breath, paying attention to the body, doing that with other people, it just created a, a space for people to open up and have conversation with one another and feel what they're feeling. I think it was helpful and valuable to people. It kind of petered out over some time, especially with COVID. That was a little bit sad and I haven't really found another uh, vehicle in the same way. But uh, we talked about this before. I guess it's just, for me, it's about taking, like having the, the strength and momentum to take some risks and put yourself out there. I'd like to do that. I'd like to say I do that more, or I'd like to try and do that more. It's tough to do that. I was curious just in hearing both of you talk about your fathers-in-law, if uh, either or both of you had, yeah, just particular, again, anecdotes or stories or memories of times uh, with them that felt really connected or significant because you, know, you both sort of expressed various forms of, of closeness to them. And if you're, you're open to, to sharing, I think in my experiences with Losing people, something that comes up that sometimes feels comforting, sometimes it just feels confusing to me, is that even in the absence of their physical or embodied or live presence, there's a weird way that the love still feels like it flows. And it, it feels distinct from a maybe just a memory or like a movie. It really feels like it's kind of a life force and sometimes in talking and sharing about kind of lost loved ones that feels more alive or, or present. 
I have two. The first one was um, we already had a pretty solid relationship, my father-in-law and I. And I remember being in uh, his, his, his hot tub in Boca Raton and sitting there. And I, I think I had probably just come back from one of these seven-day silent Jewish Buddhist silent meditation retreats. And I I guess part of it is that it was a, there was a cost to going on those retreats in that I had a young family. Um, obviously his daughter was my, his daughter was my wife and it was, there was a cost to it. And, but I remember talking to him about the retreat and explaining some of the things that happened on this retreat and why I found it to be very valuable. And sometimes I don't remember the exact specific practice that we were talking about, but I'll give you a kind of placeholder for that, which would be, you know, there's this one practice where you close your eyes and you feel what are called like the six gates. So your five senses plus thinking. And you note each of those senses. And over time, you can develop a concentration and a sensitivity to this stream of experience that's coming in. And then you can, you know, you, you note it. But then again, over time, you start feeling feelings in a different way. And it's almost as though it's like those feelings and those voices inside of you, you can start having um, like metacognition and some more separation from those. And then you can start having a conversation with them. And when you can have a conversation with those emotions and those feelings and those things that come through your senses, you can be with them and also have enough distance to talk to them. And it's like, welcome them and to say, you're here now, sadness or joy or whatever that is, I can be with you. Let's be together for a little bit. And I know you'll come and go just like anything else. And I remember talking to my father-in-law about that and having a certain level of like precision in the conversation because I had just come back from this experience and it was really fresh. And I remember exactly what my father-in-law said, which was, and this was so him that he was listening with such care. He said, wow, you know, I'm not sure I would want to go that deep with my emotions and what I'm feeling. Just wouldn't want to wade in those waters. I remember that because in certain ways since then, I could resonate with that too. <laughs> At the time, I, I didn't I didn't as much. Kind of like, I don't want to go there sometimes. It's hard to go there. So that's one. And to me that I think just, just the way he listened plus the way he felt about it, that's one special moment. And then the other was as he was deteriorating at a relatively young age, I wanted to just say two, but now all these other ones are kind of rushing, rushing back to me, but I'll go with what I had intended to share, which was when his, his mind was still and his body was still there, but it was going to be, a, he felt it would be a faster deterioration. I remember being in his kitchen in Boca and him kind of saying to me something like, I love you, like a son, like, I, I love you. This is the end for me. Like I, I can feel that this is, this is, I can feel it leaving. I just want you to know that I, I, I love you. And he, he gave me a hug. It was a really nice big hug. And what I remember the most of that moment was that like the vulnerability of that to be with that moment. It's funny. He said in one hand, I don't want to go there with those emotions. But in that moment later, this is toward the end of his life, maybe three, four months left. I remember the vulnerability that he put out there. And I also remember almost more than anything that my mother-in-law was there too. And I remember the way that she was like behind him and it was like too much emotion for her to be able to be with. And the way that he stood there, it was like, he was like 
taking up this amazing amount of like emotion and space, which was unusual for him to take up in that world of emotion and the way that his presence was like, like protecting her from that emotion when she was standing behind him. It was like this, the level of like that slice of reality we're talking about, Morty, opened up. And I remember how powerful this all was for me because I really loved receiving that from him. And I went, was going to the airport right afterward. And I was like in a, it was like I had come back from like this crazy meditation. Like I was in this deep trance almost when I came back from it. I remember sitting in the airport waiting for the, for the plane and I was closing my eyes and I couldn't do anything other than meditation. Like I couldn't not do it. I was so deep in it. And I was like, like I sat for like an hour, not moving, but in a deep meditation, just in the airport with like nothing could break that, the power of that. It was just like an incredibly powerful moment that I'll probably never, never forget. It was yeah. basically like, you got this, like you wear, he didn't say the words, you got the, where you wear the crown now, but he's like, he's like, I know you got this, like whatever's coming, you got it. Thank you for, for sharing that. Mm. Yeah, there's an idea, I mean, maybe it's a Buddhist concept. I certainly heard Ramdas talk about it, that, that suffering is grace, where there's grace and suffering, where there can be. And it sounds like your father-in-law is someone who received that grace through it, right? I mean, not everyone does, right? You can suffer and you can be bitter and you can, you know, but it's a magical thing when you see someone transformed, but you know, by it. And not, and no, I mean, and he was a great person even before, you know, he he got he got sick. I'm, I'm sure, but there's just in terms of that that bigger slice, right, that you can access. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think he probably surprised himself there with what he could access, and I know that he always taught me, and I miss this reminder that his presence brought, which is the number of ways you can come to presence and God or life, just because I knew how different we were. On some plane, we overlapped so much. That was a reminder to me of like, what was, what, what is real? <laughs> I think Simon, maybe I told you about, about this, but yeah, there, there is this, there's a show on HBO that's on now called The Last of Us. In some ways, like a zombie apocalypse series, which is like totally not what I would ever watch. There is an episode though, where there's this, the, a couple that maybe it's episode three or so, but again, who the couple like happens to be gay. And one of the, and one of the, the, the men get, it seems like he has Parkinson's, right. And his body is deteriorating, right. And mm. he wakes up one day, right. And says to his partner and says, you know, today's going to be my last day. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, no, it's like, no, this is, I've had a good life. Like this is, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it to, to be over. Hmm. And I said, so here's how our day is going to go. We're, we're going to dress up really nicely. We're going to go out. We're going to enjoy, you know, we're going to go for a walk. We're going to check out this, you know, this store, you know, we're going to come back. Like we're going to get married. Like they guess they never gotten married. You know, you're, we're going to, and then you're going to cook me a delicious dinner. Right. And then you're going to crush up a bunch of pills and you're going to mix them in the, in this, in a glass of red, mm. of, of beautiful red wine, right? And you're going to give that glass to me, right? And then we're going to go to bed and then we'll fall asleep in each other's arms. And that's going to be it, right? And that's going to be, then you see them going through this day, right? And there's something that's so amazing about them living a day that's just like any other day, right? It's just they're not doing anything particularly special, right? But because you know, 
it's your last day, your senses become heightened. It can make me think about like, what, what, what does that last dinner feel like as you're like each, as you pick up the silverware, right? And cut a piece of like, you know, chicken or vegetable that you taste. Like, what is that? Not just the taste itself, but even the awareness that you're tasting something, right? The experience of sitting. My father-in-law, so he got, I mean, his health was not great. This was unexpected, but his health was not great. You know, he got COVID at the very beginning COVID and was intubated and sedated for, for 30 days, right? So he was in a coma for 30 days. And that was when, forget about visitors. I mean, there was, no one knew what it was, right? And you would just, yeah. you would just try to get a nurse on the phone and and just to find out what, like no one knew what, what to do, right? And he came out of that and COVID kind of just like blew everything up. Whatever ailments you had, mm-hmm. it just exacerbated it, right? But he never complained. Like, you know, you know, and always, you know, what smiled, right. And it was like just having his family and knowing that they were okay and they were happy, like that was enough, you know, and he took joys, like, you know, he would spend a lot of time in the pool, right. Just because it was um, easier to move, you know, in, in the pool, mm-hmm. but he, you know, walk up to some stranger, everyone knew him because he was like the big guy at the Balmoral in Pal Harbor in Miami. And he'd swim up to them and say, Oh, Hey, where are you from? And he would, you know, he was friend, everyone knew him. Yeah, he was just, mm. I was thinking about traditionally, you say like, what's the opposite of spirituality? You'd say like, maybe like hedonism, right? And hedonism is about like, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Mm. But I was thinking, I was thinking this morning that the truth is that's kind of like the spiritual goal also, right? Is to like, is not to worry about what's going to, you know, not to get stuck in your past or to get stuck in, in, in your future, you know, to enjoy, to eat, right? To, mm. to, to drink, I was comparing that though to like in the in the Torah where it said like like the like the the sabata right that you shall eat and you shall be satisfied you'll be sated and then you shall bless God right mm-hmm. the source. How maybe one of the difference is about the satisfaction, right? That mm-hmm. hedonism it's just about like the the, the taste and it's like just eat and right and then I'm just gonna eat for the sake of the taste that I'm gonna keep on eating. Right. But can you be satisfied with that moment? Right. I think maybe that's the, mm. you know, the, the difference. And one, and one thing about my father-in-law is that he just seemed like he was mm. always just satisfied. It was always just enough. Yeah. That's kind of a you know, memory that comes to mind for me. That was nice. Um, one other, another thing on my father-in-law that feels related to this was he had a principle of basically no expectations. That was a big principle of his, this idea that, and I'm going to interpret in my own way, but this idea, if you don't have these expectations, you can't really be disappointed. You know, my wife has subsequently had this um, conversation with some of her friends who have it, like, how is having no expectations compatible with having high standards? Mm. Because my father-in-law, he absolutely had high standards for his own behavior and, you know, for his, his family. But how was high achieving, high standards of not just on paper achieving, but Mido compatible with this idea of no expectations? Are you asking? I'm just putting it out there. I was hoping you had an answer to that because that's a a fun fun question. It's like a Cohen. I don't don't, don't Mm. really... I don't know, but uh, but Morty, I did love what you said about because I mean, hidden in that, or maybe at the very sur- on the very surface, is you can't actually feel savata the, the satisfaction without slowing down at all, and and like there's like an observation of the body and the self that's that's in that, 
and that it doesn't mean you have to go super deep. It just means you need to feel what's going on for you right now or in that moment. And then I've heard an interpretation that says that if you have the presence of mind and the consciousness and awareness to, to do that, the natural next step is the virachta, the, the blessing piece mm. to say, really say thank you. So if you eat and you're aware of it, you pay attention to what that does to your body, you can't help but naturally say thank you. I, I remember at, at uh, my son Shai's bris, which is now like over 10 years ago, section of the Torah that we were reading was Kitaba, which is a, which starts about, it talks about, you know, when you know, Israelites, when you finally come to uh, the land of Israel, right? And you're going to plant produce and you'll see the first buds, right? The first like fruits that come out, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a mitzvah called like Bikurim, which is you take those first fruits and you go to Jerusalem and you put them in a basket, right? And, and yeah, you wave it. There is a script that you say, and you say that you know, my father was, uh, my you know, my forefather was like a wandering Aramean. This is a language that we also use in the in the Seder on Passover. God promised that that one day he would deliver, you know, you know Abraham's children would, they would be servants for hundreds of years and then they would come out and, and then they would come to this land, right? And now I'm bearing testimony that God kept his promise. After that, it says, Vishtachavita, and you shall, you will bow down. Right? It's like, well, why, why are you bound? Like, what is that? Where did that come from? Like, is that part of the practice? Right. But you know, what, what I thought is that, you know, when you feel gratitude fully, like there is, it's an automatic response. There are moments where it's like, that are so beautiful. And those moments, like they can be like joyous moments and they can also be moments of the greatest pain. And there's still like beauty in that. It's just like, you know, you fall down to the ground and almost like, you know, and there, and there is like a strange feeling of gratitude for just like, wow, I can't believe this, that I get to have like this experience, right? On the, on this earth. That's a good one. I had one of those a couple of weeks ago. I was on, uh, on Shabbat and there was another place I wanted to take this based on what, what you just said, but I have to share this, which is I was with my family in my house. For whatever reason, we were all together. It was really cold out and we we're all together on Shabbos. And I don't know, I had felt a little bit like I, I needed a I needed a break. I was with the kids. It was just like me and my two older kids, Cooper and Coco, who were seven and nine. We were playing a game with dice. And then it kind of devolved into us like throwing the dice in like up in the air and catching it in the cup that we were using to play with the dice. And I had felt like a little distance from them and a little distance from myself. And then there was a couple minutes where we were like having so much fun together. And I was like, not seeing them as like the kids that I need to make go to school and do the homework and like do all the stuff, seeing them for who they were. And we were all just playing and just seeing them in a different way. At some point, I went to find my wife because I wanted her to be involved in what we were doing. And she was with my littlest guy, like, because he needed a nap. But I went upstairs and I was just like lost it when I was away from the kids and I was feeling it bubbling up in me, but I just started like, like fell to the floor and was like crying. And this happens every once in a while. And I just like, I was like, wow, I felt that I I've gotten what I, what I really have been looking for. Like I just recognized, Mm. you know what I mean? Like I've said this in other contexts, Morty, I said this on one of our Torah, McTorah face gatherings, but like if me 20 years ago was looking at today, and like what my life looks like today, me 20 years ago would have been like, how do I get that? 
how, how did you mm. do it? It just felt so good in that moment to just be like, thank you. It just fell to the ground with a big thank you and some tears. And that was awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's hard not to want, hold on to that. With what you said, Morty, and I guess this is a opening up a whole different topic, but I guess with, it is in line with the father-in-laws and the tradition. Sometimes it's like doing stuff and doing Jewish stuff and being a part of the tradition. Sometimes it feels a little bit like there's a little bit of fear about like, for me personally, there, there's tension between how do I want to do this as an individual and feel as an individual versus being a part of a community and a group? And I know there's a power in that. And sometimes there's like a, a power that elevates that individual experience so much as the part of the group experience. But what I want to say is sometimes there's almost like a tension and a fee, like a fear that if I'm not having the tradition can be kind of a crutch, like an overlay that you put on top of what you're experiencing in your, in, in, uh, your emotion, like an expectation. It's really tough to like not let go of it sometimes. And it's hard not to let go of that, that the expectation that comes with it. And now I almost feel like, is there still choice in this? Is that tradition so weaved inside of me now and so much a part of how I'm doing things that the choice is is gone about how to do certain things and how to feel and how to experience. And there's some some, some fear in there. It's actually, it, it's it's funny, you know, at the, towards the end of the Torah, so like one of Moses' I think final speeches where he says, or God is saying like, here, I've, I've given you two options. Like here's life and goodness, right? And here's death and evil right and choose life i don't know why i came to you before but i just i wrote down that that the first thing of that is choose and it's like you need to have it's supposed to be a choice you know if you're doing something because it's just automatic and that's like what you've you know you were just taught that like you know that's what you do right i think we do have to be sensitive to that you are also, also like our, our tradition understandably like i think we are fearful of distance right you don't want people it's like you know, if you're worried that if you experiment with like not doing it, then you won't come back to it, right? But I feel like there's 8 billion people on the earth, like with each with their own, you know, journeys, like you have to play around with these things so that they do feel like choice. That's a really good, um, really good point. I forgot who said this. It was a friend recently. I think it applies here. It's about, he said, I love my wife. And I choose to love my wife every day. Related but separate statements. Yeah. Right, well, we're getting to the bottom of the of the hour. You know, JD, anything you'd, you'd want to take us home with to close? Well, just that the phrase of viachalta visavata uve rachta, and and you beaten, and you have been satisfied, and you have blessed. My great uncle, my grandfather's younger brother. Uh, they're Holocaust survivors, and he would share this. It's just in the spirit of grief and confronting things. Uh, this anecdote comes to mind. He would tell us uh, at, before, during, after benching, after this grace after meals phrase of prayer, that there were many moments uh, during the war and even after the war in the DP camps where, of course, they didn't have very much to eat at all. And so during benching, and I'll, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll, I'll explain it, but they would, for those of you who, you know, can't see the visual, but they would say, via chalta, visavata, 
And, you know, so, so they would say, and we ate, and while they were saying we were satisfied, they would be shaking their heads because they were quite literally starving and then sort of shrug when it came to and they would, you know, bless uh, anyway, because yes, they, they were starving. They'd been through unspeakable grief and tragedy and loss and they were around to say it. So, you know, there was something, there was something there in that in that blessing anyway even in in feeling deeply dissatisfied and i i just always felt that that was such a difficult and delicate paradox to to hold yeah beautiful beautiful all right simon thank you so much any anything you want any any final words of wisdom you want you want to share with with us with the audience I just want to say thanks for having me on and thanks for this conversation. Very refreshing to have this uh, in the middle of a, a work day. So it is, right? Yeah, likewise. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you both. Thank Very you, nice. gentlemen. Choose life. Bye. Bye. Bye.